0: Now grab hold of your Bibles and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. This is my Bible. I, have I, have. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My, mind is alert. My, heart is my heart is receptive. I'll be taught the word of God, I'll word of God. and I'll never, I'll never be the same again. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, if you're still learning your way around the Bible, then uh, just to let you know this, there's an Old and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. And Luke is in the New Testaments. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke wrote eyewitness accounts, uh, talked to people that were eyewitnesses of Jesus and what he did. And so we know this about Jesus, that in the Gospels that there are just a few things that are revealed to him, revealed to us about him before uh, he turned 30. We know of his birth. That uh, two of the Gospels, spe- specifically Matthew and Luke, talk about his birth and what that was like. We also know that by the time he was 12, that his family made a journey to Jerusalem. And they went there, and they were there. And when they were there on their way back, that they were gone. Mary and Joseph, Mary, the, the biological mother of Jesus, and Joseph, the man that our Heavenly Father trusted to raise Jesus, that a day gone from the temple, they realized that Jesus was no longer with, him, with them, that they had left him back at synagogue or at church. They'd left him back there for a day before they realized he wasn't with them. I don't feel like such a crummy parent anymore. (laughs) A day. It took them three days to find him. Maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe you're not so bad. And so they found him. He was in the temple three days later. And the questions that he was asking the Pharisees were the things that really caused them to stand up and take notice about who he was. And so then we don't really know any more about his life until about the time he was 30, John the Baptist was, uh, he was being revealed and his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he was baptizing people in Jesus who was related to John the Baptist, showed up and was gonna be baptized by him. matter of fact, John said, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, just for righteousness sake, this is the way it needs to be done. So John baptized him. And in chapter 3, verse 21, it says this. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice, everybody say a voice. Voice. From heaven said, everybody say said. said. So a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. We have have this picture right here of Jesus being baptized and this voice from heaven that says, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, I think it was done for a few reasons. One of the reasons it was done was for the people that were there they wanted to know who it was that was getting baptized. He wasn't, he wasn't just anybody else, but he was specifically called. He was, he was the one that was there to bring about deliverance. He was the one that was there to bring about you know, all of these things in society. And so he said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. My dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. And so right here we see the calling that's revealed. We see all of that that's taking place. And so, and so we have that. But I think there's also something that a lot of times we lose sight of the fact, and that is this, is that Jesus, when he came to the earth, he came to the earth as God and man. He was God in the flesh. He was, he was, he was you know, God uh, that had become man. And so even though he was still completely God, completely divine, the Philippians tells us this, that he laid aside everything that being God afforded him in other words in that moment during that season he was he laid aside being omnipotent he laid aside being omnipresent in other words being everybody he was he was in a body it limited where he could be he's still god but he laid aside those divine privileges or divine rights or divine powers so that he would walk the earth as we do as, as human beings leaning upon the leading of the holy spirit and the recognition of his relationship with the father And so in this, as he's getting ready to get, as he gets baptized, then this voice comes from heaven saying, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. So it revealed to those people who he was, but I think there was also this affirmation that was coming from his heavenly father saying, this is who you are. This is why you were sent. This is why you're here. And it's a picture that God the Father gives us today that we as men, that we as dads need to embrace. If you're taking notes, number one is this, is that fathers should continually affirm their children's identity. Fathers should continually affirm their children's identity. Now take just a minute and think about the things that have been spoken over your life. Think about the words that you heard as a child growing up. The things that still resonate with you today, for some of you, those could be pleasant memories. And for some of you, you may still carry the wounds or the scars from the things that were said about you. Think about those words. It's such a powerful thing. And the problem is, is because often we don't realize as men how significant our voice is into our children's lives that one of two things happen that either, A, we're silent. We say nothing. As our kids long to hear our voice, long to hear the things that we say. Or B is, for whatever reason, we're indifferent to the things that come out of our mouth and we'll just say anything. And quite honestly, one's as painful as the other. But if we ever understood and embraced the value of a father's voice over the life of their children and how significant that is, that would begin to impact what they do. It's just, it's amazing what takes place, you know, in that. And so, you know, we we should just recognize that. I I wanted to say this to my son, David, today. He's sitting up here on the front row, that, David, you're my son. And one of the ways that God showed me how much he loves me is by giving me you. And I'm truly proud of you, and I see what a faithful son you are and are living to represent our name well and your heavenly father as well. And I'm blessed that you're my son. And I want to say thank you. So we have to keep that in mind to continually affirm our children's identity. I've shared this with you before, and I may share it almost every Father's Day because I think it's just such a significant part. It's a part of who we are and what we did in our life, and those kind of things. And, and so uh, we, I, uh, my job allowed me to take our kids to school. A lot of times I wouldn't be with them in the evenings, so I always wanted to be the one taking them to school. So I get up and make them breakfast, and sometimes they get breakfast burritos, sometimes they get peanut butter toast, sometimes it was whatever cereal they felt like making themselves. And so it was just. It was just a plethora of options at the Burke household and so, uh, that I determined, and uh, so we would do that, and then we would get in the car, and we'd put on like a, you know, some kind of song, usually it was a Christian song that was you know, kind of fun to sing or whatever, and then we would have them make this affirmation, and I would, have them, I would say to them, what are you? And they would go, I'm quick, I'm smart, I'm bright, I'm rich, I'm sharp, I'm good looking, and I'm a major blessing. And so they would say that every day and Daniel, our middle son, who always wanted to have a little bit of a dramatic flair, would add his own taste, his own spin to it. He'd go, I'm quick, I'm smart, I'm bright, I'm rich, I'm sharp, I'm so good looking and I'm such a major blessing. Well our oldest, David, who is a rule follower, would be like, you're not saying it right. And that was all Daniel needed to know that he was getting under his brother's skin so he just amped it up even more so good-looking, and such a major blessing. Now, a lot of good dads would put a stop to it, but I, seeing that my middle son had some of my genetics in him and was irritating somebody by what he said, then I would say, what are you again? A major blessing. And I would ask him, a major blessing. And so he would leave encouraged that day, and his oldest brother would be frustrated and discouraged. And by the way, I'm sorry for that. But, But it was just one of those things that we just did daily, you know, and so I wanted to stick with them and I, you know, and, and a lot of times I think they kind of do the same thing for their kids, you know, I, I had my mistakes, I made them, you know, to uh, just, uh, you know, times saying things, uh, you know, I'd have to think back and go, I, I don't mean that, that's not true, forgive me, but I wanted the words that would resonate in their heart for me to help them understand they weren't just here by happenstance, that it wasn't just serendipitous, you know, all things, but God had a plan in their life and a purpose for them. And I wanted to engage in that. And and our words, they affirm who they are. It reminds them and reveals them who God created them to be. And there's no small thing of that. And Jesus, in this moment, his heavenly father from heaven in front of other people said, you're my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. We can't underestimate the value or the weight or the power of that. After that event took place and Jesus was, uh, he went into the wilderness. Luke chapter four, verse one says this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do, do not live by bread alone. Now. I said this before and I'll say it again that I know all of us have different stories and that's good. I I don't want everybody to have the same story that comes here. I want us to be reaching people with different stories and so I realize realize this force Right now, that you know, my story is I was raised in church. That may not be your story, and that's okay. It's okay. It's good that we're different. But because I was raised in church, I heard this account over and over again. And for the longest time, I'd never made any connection with the previous event, that he was baptized, and this voice from heaven said, You're my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. You're my dearly loved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And in the temptation, the very first thing that the devil says to him, If you are his son, then do this. In other words, let your relationship be based upon your performance and not upon who your father is prove yourself. And because Jesus didn't allow the devil to set the terms of what his relationship is with the Father, that he let the word of his Father be enough to find his security in that. That when his identity was questioned, he was able to stand up against that and was able to say, Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here's the second thing, if you're taking notes, is that knowing who you are helps you to overcome. One of the reasons why we just, we just settle in life is because nobody has affirmed to us what our identity is, who we were created to be. If we fully understood the plan that God has for each one of us in here and the call that he has on, his, on our life, we would stop settling We would stop settling. We, We would lean into his plan and his purpose. And the yes that God had placed in our heart would be so huge that anything else that was put before us would seem so small in comparison to the thing that he's given us that no would be easy to say. That we'd be able to step out and say the words no. It's amazing how powerful no is in our life when we're able to tell our flesh no and temptation no. It does something to our self-esteem whenever we can look at the challenges that are presented before us and the appetites that we've yielded to in the past that make us less than we were created to be because we understand who we are and we understand who we were called to be so that thing no longer has the hold on us that it once did and we're able to say no and we walk away victorious aware of who we were created and whose image we were. Amen? And so that's who God has called us to be. Joseph, when he was just a teenager, not, not the man in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, a young man named Joseph, he had a dream, and in the dream, God told him about his plan for him. He even revealed to him, you're going to help your family out someday. They're going to serve you because of the position. He told his family. He had two dreams. One of them had just his brothers, and the other one had his brothers and his parents, and in their insecurities, even his parents went like, we're not bound before you, dude. You're the kid. we're the parents. That's not how it works, OK? You have kids and they're going to bow before you. I get almost married now because it's kind of how we parents sound sometimes. But anyway, he had this. His brothers and their insecurities sold him into slavery. And we look at moment after moment where it seemed like life was unfair to him. Where he was mistreated by people that he'd done absolutely nothing wrong. And he could have chose bitterness. He could have been angry at God. He could have been to a place where he gave up on the walk of God and just said it's not worth it. And not trust any other human being again. But the yes that was in him that God had placed in his heart that revealed his purpose and his identity was so great. That he refused to sacrifice what he wanted most for what he wants now. And that was because of the identity that he had. Our words are so significant, dads, over our kids' lives. Because number two is this. Knowing who you are helps you overcome. One of the reasons why people yield to things so many times is because they don't have any idea who they were created to be. Who they were created to be, what they were created for. Our culture, our society has done the best that it can. To make this a blur. The thing that at one time was so simple. To have an understanding of what it meant to be who I am. Of what it meant to be that. That even at that point that there was this affirmation that took place from the Father towards Jesus whenever he was baptized. But I'm just telling you that there is, there's a strategic effort by the enemy. To, to stir the water and make it muddy over who we are and who we were called to be. And what it means by our purpose and to eliminate the value of dads within the family. Don't buy into that. Don't embrace that. Your role is significant. Jesus, even at 30 years old, his heavenly father's voice spoke into his life and into his world about his relationship with him and who he was called to be, and it was significant for what lay ahead of him in the temptation and the test that took place in the wilderness. I remember being in my 40s, 500 miles away in New Mexico, had my own job, worked at church, had my own kids, and my dad's voice was still significant on my life. If I would get off the phone and I could tell that he was disappointed in me, it impacted me. And so when he was pleased with me, it impacted me. And some of you don't have the pleasure of knowing his, you know, his, his approval. Some of you may only know the, the pain of his disappointment, Or the pain of his absence. And let me just say something. That you have a heavenly father whose voice wants to resonate in your heart. And give you purpose. So that you can overcome and say no to the challenges in your life. It's what God has called us to do. So number two is knowing who you are helps you overcome. So Jesus then, he goes through three temptations, three tests and trials. It says that he returns in the power of the spirit. And then he goes into the synagogue and begins to preach. Let's pick up in verse 16. It says this, when he came to the village of Nazareth, the, his boyhood home, he went as usual, everybody say as usual. as usual, to the synagogue. I wonder why Jesus didn't feel like it was okay if he just stayed home, and it, really not a big deal whether we show up or not, because, you know, God knows me and I know him, and, and anyway, I'm getting off track. Anyway, so he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Now let me give you some context. This was a passage in Isaiah 61 that Jesus was reading. His audience was very familiar with the passage. And let me just say this, man, whenever you're a communicator and you're sharing, that it's, it's one of those things that you want to make sure that you're communicating what you're intending to communicate and that it resonates in the hearts of people. And so, you know, there have been times up here that I've, I've misstated something or I said something dumb, and I get like in my head, I'm like, I can't believe I said that. Or as I'm trying to say it, I'm like, this doesn't sound anything like I wanted it to. It's not connecting with people. I've shared this before. There have been times where I've wanted to stand at the door and there's people even going, I'm sorry, please come back next week. I'm sorry, please come back next week. I'm sorry, please. I mean, just you just have those days where you're like that. And so in, in any insecurities that we have, you can have that moment. And so the temptation is just to try to make sure that everybody resonates with it. And all of these people are looking at Jesus, and they're looking at him intently in his boyhood home, the place that he grew up. And this is what he says to them. It says they looked at the... He says to them, he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in, Caper- in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue, the people who just before that had approved him, had just said, what, great, what a great preacher he is. But now he was challenging them and where they were it says, when they heard this, they were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. Now, again, I've probably have had people upset with me when they've left a the service. Fortunately, up to this point, I haven't had anybody that's drugged me out of here and said, take him out to Highway 66 and throw him in front of a passing car. I mean, that's how mad they were at Jesus. They're going to try to throw him off of a hill. And so they take him out there and they get ready to throw him off of a cliff. And it says this, it says, they intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Can you imagine the temptation to feel so rejected in the place that he grew up in, the people that knew him best, that knew what his character was like, and that this was a response to him? Do you know, what he did was, was it, it says that he went on his way and as we continue reading, he, went, he continued to go from town to town, city to city and continued to carry out the plan of God. It's amazing how powerful rejection can be. How it can fill our hearts and what it does is how it causes us to hide, to shrink back. Sometimes we respond in anger. Sometimes we try to bury the voice of rejection or shame in our life. And the reason why our identity, knowing who we are and the reason why Fathers, your voice makes such a difference speaking that into your kid's life is because there'll be times where they're faced with rejection. There'll be times where they're tempted to give up because of the things that have been said to them and about them. And if they don't know who they are, then the voice of rejection becomes so loud in them that they never become who they were created to be. You know, in the movie Lion King, that, that great theological movie, there was um, this moment wherever, you know, the, uh, the lion cub, uh, was it Simba? Is that his name? That, yeah. That, uh, whatever. He saw his father, and his father said this to him. He said, he said, you're more than you've become. And he wanted to remind him of who he was created to be. And even though it's just a movie, there's, there's so much of a truth there. But of all the things that we could speak into our kids' lives, one of the most powerful things is to be a constant reminder and affirmation of who God has created them to be. Some of you, the emptiness in your heart, the ache that is there, you may not have ever realized it before, but because you never had that voice that resonates in you, that's saying to you, you matter. You're important. Your life matters. You were here for a purpose. Jesus was able to push his way through a crowd that he knew, faces that he grew up with, and continuing on ministering because the nature of who he was was revealed and affirmed through the voice of his heavenly father when he said, you are my son and you bring me great joy. That voice has to be louder than those voices of disapproval that don't know us, that don't know who we are, that don't see the challenges we face or how we deal with them. Number three is this, is knowing who you are helps you push past rejection. It's such a powerful thing. And on Father's Day, I want to challenge the men in here to be that voice of affirming the place, the presence, and the purpose of the people in your life, of the kids that God has given you, whether they're biologically yours or you've been surrounded by them and you have a voice in their world that matters. Let that be the voice that resonates in them so that when they go out there and the people that don't know them are so broken themselves that they can't affirm anything when their voices or the absence of it begins to resonate in their heart instead of there being an emptiness or a wound created by their words of pain. That they're able to withstand that because they have a voice that's more important to them and that's yours that's spoken in their life and reminds them on a regular basis who they were created to be. It is a significant power. Don't let the world or the devil or anybody else tell you that it's lost its significance or its presence. Jesus was 30 years old at his baptism when he heard this voice from heaven just before he went out and faced a major temptation and dealt with rejection from his own hometown so he could keep going. Your voice may be the only thing that they have at some times in their life. It matters. Number three is knowing who you are helps you push past rejection. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I, I want to do something I, I've never done this before, so it's a little unusual. But I, I really want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and and I'm going to let you know along the way. So I'm not going to I'm not going to trick you or bait and switch you. Uh, but what I would like to do right now is that. If you're in here today, man, and I mean, and you really didn't have, either your dad's voice was absent or he was so broken that he didn't know how to to speak life into you and remind you of who you are and who you were created to be. And that when you think about his voice, sometimes it's a painful thing. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I wanna, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand for just a moment. Just raise your hand. Keep it up there. Yeah, several. Several. Just keep it up for just a minute. All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. I want to be, for just a moment, a voice in your life of a father. And I want to pray over your life, speak some things over your life, And as I say these, I want you to hear them with your heart and I want them to resonate in you. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you don't have to do this next part. It's okay if you don't. I'm still going to speak to you. But if that's you and you're comfortable with this, and we're sure to have everybody keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if you're comfortable with this, I want you to stand at your seat where you are. If that's you. Thank you. Thank you. So, I don't want you just to hear this with your ears. I want you to take it in your heart, but I want you to hear a Father's voice saying this to you. I'm grateful you're in my life. You're not a burden. You're not a problem. You're not unimportant and you're not a mistake. I see you and God sees you. We know you. He knows you by name, He loved you first. You are chosen. The thought that you don't matter is a lie. You're worthy of being loved. So stop settling. Stop settling for toxic relationships. You're not a mistake or an accident, but you were created with great purpose. I see that. God sees it. The absence of some people in your life is not a reflection of your worth, but it just reveals how great their brokenness is to not see the value in you and want to be a part of your world. You were created to be a masterpiece and to do great things. You're no longer a carrier of shame that has to be medicated with addiction or toxic relationships, but you are his beloved and are created to bear his image. He loves you greatly. So go knowing your father knows you. And according to Psalm 139, he thinks about you so much that you can't even count how many thoughts about you he has. And he longs not to avoid you not to be absent from you, but to have a relationship with you where his voice constantly affirms who he created you to be. And all he asks is that you just receive him and lean into him this day and let the voice of your heavenly father be the voice that resonates in your life when rejection shows up or you've lost sight of your way. I love you. You can be seated. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for each one of the people that raise their hand. Lord, had the courage to do that. I, I pray that in this moment that those words echo in their heart. That they matter. That you see them, that you know them by name, you call them by name. You don't see them through the eyes of brokenness, through the mistakes, their failures, or their searching. You see them through the eyes of Jesus and as they embrace him and receive him, it's amazing what takes place in their world. Lord, I see them. I speak over their life and see value in their world, Father, and in their hearts and who they were created to be. And I thank you for it in the name of Jesus.